Well, we want to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, to the book of John. The message this morning will come from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Our congregation has been going through a study in the Gospel of John, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we've come to this particular chapter, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. The context is shortly before Christ will be crucified, the evening before in which he opens his heart to the disciples. They are in the upper room celebrating the Last Supper. And in John chapter 14, our Lord Jesus says these words. Verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we get there? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Let's bow together in a word of prayer before we begin our study. Our God in heaven, we give you thanks for your eternal and enduring word, the word of God. For the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we might see great and wonderful things from thy law. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. A number of years ago, when I was doing some teaching in Cambodia, I flew into Phnom Penh, the capital. And as the plane landed and the wheels hit the tarmac, the passengers, or at least the locals, began clapping. And they were applauding. And I didn't know why, because here in the U.S., we don't clap when a plane lands. And so I made a comment asking one of the passengers about the clapping, and he simply made the comment back, oh, the plane has landed. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I couldn't help but think, do the pilots miss sometimes and the plane not land? But I was happy to be on the ground safely, and so when the missionary whom I was working with came and asked me, uh, or talked with me and met me, I asked him about that, about their clapping. And he said, oh, they're happy that the plane didn't get shot out of the sky. <laughs> well, walking through the airport, I could understand, because I could still see the bullet holes all around the terminal. There were bullet holes in the walls because of the violence that had occurred in the years prior. But now there was peace. Now there was peace in a country that was riddled with violence before. And they were happy to be home. 
Much like many of you, I'm sure, who have been on vacation or you've been on a business trip or you've been to visit family, you've traveled, whether it has been for a long time or a short time, whatever the reason, after living out of a suitcase, after being away from home for a long time, it's nice to come home, to be able to settle down, to be able to relax, to be able to be in the routine that you are normally in. It's nice to have peace. Nice to be where people know your name, people know who you are, and you can call that home. For these disciples here in this particular passage, they have come to the night before Jesus would be crucified, and they had been traveling with him for three years. Their entire world had been put on hold, their families, their future, everything they had and all of the things that they did was enveloped in Christ and following him. When they needed food, Jesus created it. When they needed to pay their taxes, Jesus met that need. When they were worried and anxious, Jesus would give them words of peace and comfort. Whenever and wherever they needed something, Jesus was there for them. But now at the end of his life, he began speaking with them about his suffering, about his death about the fact that he would depart and no longer be there. And their idea of a Messiah began to crumble because their idea was that the Messiah was going to come, that he was going to overthrow Rome, that he would have a physical kingdom right at that time, and that he would arise in power and authority and they would ride on his coattails to rule and reign with him there. Out of their mind was never this idea that the Messiah would die and so their dreams and their plans, and their vision for the future had begun to collapse. And Jesus, knowing that they would be distressed, knowing that they would be disillusioned and discouraged, knowing that they would be worried and anxious, he gives them words of comfort, words of hope, words of encouragement, that they were to trust him, that they were to trust in God, that they would trust that he was going to come back and take them home, that he was the only way. And he encourages them and comforts their heart, encourages them to trust him. And we see that in this particular passage. For the first thing that he tells them is that they needed to trust him, to trust God. For it says in verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The word there for troubled means to stir or to shake. The way that it's written in the text there is that Jesus was telling them to stop being troubled. To stop being troubled. And the word believe there is not about salvation. He wasn't telling them to come and be saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in him. He was telling them to have an ongoing trust Believe him, what he is about to say. And to them, the basic idea that was communicated was stop. Stop being troubled. Stop being anxious. Stop being worried about the future. Stop being fearful and apprehensive, but to trust God. To trust God and to trust Christ alone. Jesus knew that they wanted something. Jesus knew of what their dreams were. 
He knew that they wanted him to establish a kingdom now, to rule and overthrow Rome now. When all of that didn't come to pass or was coming to an end, he knew that they would be worried and anxious. He knew that they would have fear. But he encouraged them to trust, to trust in him. How often does that sound like me and you? How often does that sound like what we go through because our eyes are so nearsighted so often that our eyes are fixed upon the situation rather than the Savior? Our eyes are fixed upon the problems rather than the provider. Our eyes are often so short-sighted. Do you remember the story of the Apostle Peter? When he was on the Sea of Galilee, they see Jesus walking on the water and Peter, because of his love for the Savior, steps out onto the water and he runs towards the Lord and begins to walk on that water. And there is no problem until he looks at the storm around him and fear grips his heart and he begins to sink because his eyes were no longer on the Savior. His eyes were on the storm. His eyes were on the problem and not the provider. How often is it that we have our hopes and our dreams, just like these disciples? How often is it that we have our future all planned out in our mind and something doesn't come to pass? We have our plans for a particular job that we wish we would have a promotion for or be employed in. We have our plans for a family and maybe they haven't materialized how they ought to. We have plans for a particular school that we want to get into we have plans for retirement, but because of the economy that has disappeared, we have plans, and when they don't come to pass, oftentimes we can feel discouraged, disillusioned, perhaps afraid, perhaps worried about the future. And the Word of God tells us, just as Jesus told his disciples, stop being worried, stop being anxious, stop being fearful, and don't let that take root in your heart. Don't be troubled, but trust in God. Time and time again throughout the, the scriptures, it encourages us to trust in God. Very well-known passage in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. The Psalms, Psalm 84.12 tells us, O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Or Isaiah 26.4, it says, Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. God can be trusted no matter what life may bring your way. Trust in God and walk in obedience to the Savior. Why? Because no matter what happens here on earth, no matter what happens in this very short and temporary life, we can trust in Jesus who is providing for us a home in heaven. That is what comes in verses 2 through 4. For Jesus says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus was telling them these words, I go to prepare a place for you. He'd already told them in John 13, 33, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me. 
So I have said to the Jews, but I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. In reference to the fact that he would die the next day and they would not be able to follow him immediately. But he tells them there in words of comfort in verse 36 of chapter 13 to Peter, he says, but you will follow later. The promise of Jesus to these disciples was that even though he would be gone for a little while, they would be able to join him later. They would be able to join him later. That he was going to his father's house, which is a reference to heaven. That he was going to the father's house in heaven. And in heaven there are not just a few, the Bible says, not just some, but many dwelling places for all of God's children. For all of God's children, no one will be homeless in heaven. And this passage here in John chapter 14 gives us an illustration that they would have very well understood back then. It was a picture that they very well knew what Jesus was communicating. It was a picture of a betrothal, of the betrothal period, similar to what we would understand as an engagement period here, prior to someone being married. For when one was betrothed to be married in biblical times, they were considered married. But during that betrothal period prior to the wedding, which might happen nine months or a year later or whatever it may be, the bridegroom would go away. He would go away to establish a profession showing that he could support his new bride. And he would also go away to prepare a home, to prepare a home for his new family. That home would not be in another country, generally. It would not be in another city. No, that bridegroom would go away and prepare a home, and the family would attach a home that would be attached to the father's house. Each and every family, as the family expanded, they would attach an addition to that house. And that house would be surrounding a courtyard and the family would expand and the father would have his children and his grandchildren and everyone would be together. And that is why Jesus says, in my father's house, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. That is what Jesus goes to prepare. Not only that, when the bridegroom would go away, he simply wouldn't leave his bride. No, the bridegroom, out of love for that bride, would lavish upon that bride gifts of love. He would send his love and he would show his kindness to that bride throughout that time to remind that bride of his care and his love. And that is a picture that Jesus gives here to his church, us who are Christians, to his people who are called the bride of Christ, the church. For here in these chapters, 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus reminds his disciples on the night before he is about to depart that he has promises for them and he lavishes these encouraging words to them. He tells them that he will give them power to do the work that he is going to leave for them. If they ask for something in his name through prayer, he will give it to them. He promised to them that even though he is leaving, he will send a comforter called the Holy Spirit to be with them. He wants to give them, and he will give them knowledge of what is true. He comforts them by telling them that he will give them peace 
and fruitfulness. In John 15, it's not just some fruit, but it will be a lot. It will be much fruit that they will bear. He tells them that the future holds suffering. He tells them that the future will hold suffering, but he also promises to them joy. Most importantly, he promises to them, even here in this passage, that he will come back to take them home. You see, when the bridegroom was done making a home for his new bride, establishing a profession, he wouldn't send for his bride. He would come for his bride and take her home to be with him. Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus has prepared a place for us in heaven. And Jesus will come for us again so that we might live with God for all of eternity. So he tells these disciples who are fraught with worry and anxiety and fear, stop. Stop. Trust in God. I'm going to prepare a place in heaven for you. And I will come to take you home. But how do we get there? How do you get to heaven? Jesus answers that by saying that he is the only way. Jesus is the only way. Verses 5 and 6. Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you were to ask the world how to get to heaven, they would tell you there are many ways. In fact, they may tell you in this day, it doesn't matter which way. You can do whatever you so choose, believe whatever you so believe. But the problem you see is unsatisfying. Why? Because the problem of our sin won't be addressed. God is a holy God and heaven is a perfect place. And we are sinful people, people who have done wrong before God. No one here on earth is perfect for all of the religions of the world. Their cure for that, their solution for sin is trying to do one's best in good deeds, in good works. All of the religions of the world make our deeds, the things that we do, our own works, our own goodness, the basis by which we enter into heaven or not. You ask people what they think. You think they'll go to heaven and the common answer is, yeah, perhaps, I hope so, or something of that sort. Ask them why. And a common answer is, well, I'm really not a bad person, I haven't committed some heinous crime such as, and they'll list out a number of those things. And the sentiment is this, well, I've been a decent, upstanding person because of how I have lived, because of the things that I have done, because of the things I didn't do as well. In short, I'm a good person in my own eyes. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no not even one. All have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 tells us, and Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That is the consequence, the wages of our sin, spiritual separation from God for all of eternity and eternity in hell. For there is no cure 
There is no cure for sin that is given in the religions of the world. You see, in recent weeks, we've been reading in the news of a serious outbreak of the Ebola virus in West Africa. No, many of you have been to Africa, and you know that there are many diseases, but the Ebola virus is particularly serious. It causes internal bleeding, causes organ failure. The Ebola virus is fatal in 30 to 90% of people who contract it depending upon the strain. It is contracted through direct contact with infected people. And there is no cure. There is no vaccine. There is no solution but to quarantine those who have contracted the Ebola virus. No matter what you eat, no matter how often you exercise, no matter what medicines you take, there is no cure for the Ebola virus. And the same is true with sin. The same is true for the disease of sin. No matter how good you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how kind you are, how much you've volunteered, how generous you have been, sin is incurable. And that is why God sent His Son from heaven to earth to live a perfectly righteous life, that life that we could not live, to die on the cross for our sins when we would have had to pay that penalty. That is why he can say, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Christ died as a substitute for sin that we might have hope. Absolutely no one can come to God. No one can have the hope of heaven. No one can have eternal life or forgiveness of sins without going through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. But that is the good news. That is the good news. There's no cure for sin here on earth, but there is a cure through God, through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for sins. And if anyone were to turn from living their own life with a desire to live a godly life and follow Christ, in repentance they turn to God, they ask Him for forgiveness, believing that nothing that they could ever do could ever pay for their own sin, and ask that God would grant to them forgiveness and eternal life, that that free gift will be given to them when they place their faith and their trust in what Jesus has done rather than what we could do. God is gracious to save an individual from their sin, to give them forgiveness, to take away the burden of guilt no matter what one has done. For the scriptures tell us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. It tells us that God is patient. In 2 Peter 3, 9, God is patient toward you, not wishing for any 
to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Jesus invites every person to come. Matthew chapter 11, 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The question for you and I is, are you spiritually tired? Are you tired of working so very hard to be a good person when Christ has lived that perfect life for you? Are you tired in your heart with an unfulfilled heart that has a vacuum in it, that nothing you do, no matter what is pursued, whether it is your work or money, whether it is entertainment or relationships, nothing fills the vacuum of that soul which is empty without Christ? Christ invites us to come, to come through that narrow gate because he says, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, come to Jesus. The question for us is, are you ready for Christ to return? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you have assurance of your salvation Are you waiting for Christ to come to take you home? One of my favorite documentaries is the movie The Endurance. It is a story of Ernest Shackleton, who in December of 1914, he and 27 other men set out aboard a ship called The Endurance with the goal of traversing the Antarctic from sea to sea through the South Pole. When they got down there, there was an ice pack that stopped them, and that ice pack eventually crushed his ship, stranding all of his crew with three lifeboats, and they pulled those lifeboats until they found water, and they sailed off to an island called Elephant Island, but it was a deserted island with no hope there, no hope of rescue, no hope of life for a long period of time, so Shackleton captain and four other crew members set sail in one of the lifeboats. And they sailed over 800 miles through some of the treacherous, most treacherous oceans, worst seas, until they landed in South Georgia. South Georgia Island, in order that they might come to a fishing, to a fishing outlet but they found that they had landed on the wrong side of the island and they had to climb. They had to climb some 3,000 feet through cliffs, through the island, trek 40 miles through a journey, and they couldn't stop over the course of 36 hours because if they did stop, they would freeze. He secured a ship to go back for the 22 men that he left behind on Elephant Island, not knowing if they were even still alive. They after 11 months of seeing their captain gone in the cold of the south, there was a man named Frank Wilde who was Shackleton's second-in-command, kept the men together. He kept them on routine. He kept them from insanity. When Shackleton returned 11 months later, to his surprise, he found all of the men, their gear 
ready and waiting and packed for him. When he commented and asked them how they were so prepared, they said this, quote, we never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, pack up and stow, boys, because the boss might come today. For 11 months, they would remind themselves and each other, pack up and stow, boys, and the boss might come today. Is that us? For 11 months in the cold? Is that us? Are we ready to go home? Because Jesus might come today. The Word of God reminds us to stop being anxious, to stop being worried, to stop looking at the future and being worried about what would to come, but instead to trust in God, to trust in Christ, because He has promised to come to take us home. And he has prepared a place for us to come and take His bride back to live with Him forever. He is the way, the truth, and the life, that life everlasting, because He came and made the way He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And God raised him back to life on the third day. That is why we have hope. That is why we celebrate Easter, because of the resurrected Savior. No other religion in the world has a living Savior. He is our Lord, who has been resurrected from the dead, and he will come to take us home. The early church Rather than saying hello or goodbye, many times they would say Maranatha, which is a Syrian phrase meaning our Lord comes. Our Lord comes. May we trust in Christ. May we trust in God who will come to take us home. And this morning, if you are here and you have never made that decision to come to Christ, If you have never trusted in Him and Him alone that He would save you from your sins, God offers that free gift to you if you would simply turn from sin. Place your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus that He died for you and ask Him to save you from your sin, to give you eternal life, that He will give it to you freely. He will change your life and give you that peace that you so desire, that joy that is everlasting irrespective of the circumstances, and he will have a home for you in heaven. Let's bow in prayer. God in heaven, we give you thanks for the promise of your word, the promise of a Savior who would come to take us home. And Lord God, we pray that we might not be anxious for the future, that we might not be worried, that, Father, you have promised us that you will come again. Your Son will take us home. And I pray, Father, for each and every person who is here. I pray that your Spirit would look into their hearts, that you would draw them to yourself if they do not know you. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.